Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. All right, next up, we have scapular winging or winging of our shoulder blade. I think this is something that happens to a fair amount of people and is a little bit scary the first time it happens. It can look a little odd, which might make people go, oh my gosh, what's going on to your shoulder? But is it really a bad thing? I know. I think this is such an important topic because there is a lot of fear in weird movements, (laughs) which for me was always, you know, my party trick. I'd be like, oh, look at how I could just like kind of push my shoulder blade off my spine and people will be like, oh my God. And I could also like just so rotate my shoulder blades forward that I, when I was really strong too in gymnastics, I would like look like the Hulk. Those were like my special shoulder blade tricks. Go, go beast mode with your <laughs> yeah, shoulders. It wasn't muscles. It wasn't upper traps. It was literally my shoulder blades like roll into the top. <laughs> it made the muscles look big though. So it, it served this purpose, right? <laughs> So what the heck is scapular winging? What causes it? Why does that happen? Yeah. So when we're talking about scapular winging, we're thinking that the the lower edge of that shoulder blade that is closest to the spine is kind of popping off of the rib cage. And that's where you can kind of see like some space underneath that shoulder blade. And what happens if that back portion is then popping off, that means the shoulder blade's kind of rotating forward and up just a little bit. So it almost think of rounded shoulders, but a little bit more just in the shoulder blade rather than the shoulders itself on the front. And that's why you kind of get that that winging. And a lot of people uh, see it through movement or exercise. Yeah. Like if I do this certain movement, then I notice my shoulder blade pops out this certain way. And the shoulder blade or the scapula is kind of in an interesting spot because it's just kind of floating there. It's not like directly attached to another joint. It more so just slides along that along that rib cage and stuff. And it has like a bajillion things connecting into it. <laughs> like we got the upper trap and the biceps and we got our rotator cuff muscles. All of the rotator cuff muscles. So if we think of all those stabilizers or anything that kind of pinches underneath that shoulder blade we got the stabilizing the serratus anterior the everyone serratus anterior our rhomboids all those things that tuck our shoulders back our the, traps the lats even and some people will connect through the bottom edge of the uh, bottom angle of that shoulder blade so so many things pulling and tugging on the shoulder blade and so many things like our pecs like our upper traps like our lats that we know can be kind of those trouble muscles and if one of those is angry or has a lot of tension in it it may throw off all of our shoulder blade motions just because we have one angry muscle let alone if a few of those are not firing together right and that's where a lot of people like to say well if it's super tight pecs or super tight lats i just need to rub them out i need to massage them out I stretch need to... the pec and then strengthen the retractors yeah which it's like well why is my brain connecting to my pec muscle or why is my brain connecting to my lat to say you are my stabilizer you are the muscle that's going to control my movement Mm -hmm. here and so it's almost like is it an angry muscle or is it an overpowering muscle (laughs) or one that has learned a little bit differently than we would have expected throughout life and now every time we go to push or raise our arm or reach behind our back our pec is like 100%. 100%. Yeah. I do this. Yeah. Go. And that, It's a very again, excited muscle. <laughs> totally. And then the next question is, 
if our shoulder blade is doing some of these funky things, do we have pain? Does mm-hmm. that mean that we're going to be injured? Mm-hmm. And so as we've continued to study this throughout the years, like early on in physical therapy, that was the thing that you look for. If someone has shoulder pain, they probably have some what we call shoulder dyskinesia or just kind of funky, weird shoulder blade movement through their shoulder range of motion. And we're, we're coupling those two. But as we've continued to study, we cannot uh, correlate scapular dyskinesia or again, like as you're raising your arm, one shoulder blade kind of takes a little time to get up there or doesn't quite move right or maybe elevates or does crazy things as we're moving, you know, different than the other side. Mm. But what we're seeing is that we, there's just, we can't correlate it. Some studies can be like, oh yeah, like more, you know, athletes got injured. And then where others were like, that didn't correlate at all. Yeah. It's really hard to draw a direct like, hey, because your shoulder blade was doing this interesting motion, that's the reason that you have pain or that's the reason that you have a rotator cuff tear. Well, no, because we might see that same motion in people who don't have an injury or go their whole life without having a severe injury or shoulder pain. So again, if we're seeing a, a major shoulder dyskinesia, which we said this winging scapula is kind of underneath this larger umbrella of shoulder dyskinesias, which dyskinesia literally means like wrong or incorrect movement. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all that word means. So if we are seeing that in some somebody, then it's more like, hey, are you aware that you do this? Are you aware your shoulder is moving in this way? Because say that person wants to start a big like Olympic lifting program or doing resistance training, we might want to see how we can get them more aware of how that shoulder blade and arm is moving before we start loading it up and doing a bunch of resistance training through those movements. Right. And I think one of the other studies that really popped out to me too was, you know, there was a a study that looked at two groups of people who had shoulder pain or subacromial shoulder pain, which really just means pain in that shoulder region okay and usually with like overhead lifting it could think of bursitis rotator cuff um, impingement impingement any of those kinds of things ac joint anything (laughs) yeah so think of all of those things and what they did is they separated these people into two groups one who did just kind of rotator cuff strengthening which still attaches onto the shoulder blade (laughs) but the shoulder blade is more in a stable position it's kind of it's not moving moving. the shoulder blade's not doing the motion and then and then another group that did rotator cuff exercises plus additional like six to eight uh, scapular stabilizing exercises and they did exercises that really just focused on really drawing the shoulder blades back and down and together and so if we think of like when people are usually telling us go into good posture it's usually bring the shoulder blades back and then draw them back into your pockets like that into your back pockets that's what was kind of like the language that they used in physical therapy school and so those were really like the scapular stabilizer muscles or exercises that they focused on and what they found was that there was no difference between the two groups after eight weeks so they did these exercises three times a week for eight weeks and at the end of the day both groups reported the same level of well, you know, how their pain changed, but they also looked at muscle strength. They looked at shoulder range of motion. And in both groups, they had the same improvements. And so really at the end of the day, they said, well, 
this didn't mean anything. And so adding, you can add shoulder stabilizing muscle or exercises into your exercise program if you want to. It might not mean that there's going to be any significant change. I think more what that is pointing out too is that, okay, all we knew about those people is they were all having shoulder pain. Mm -hmm. And we've already talked about how hundreds of different things can be caught like contributing to that shoulder pain right so if we blanket assign the same thing to everybody it's not really going to be addressing specifically what they might need so i would kind of expect similar change in all of them because some of them it might not be helping at all with their specific imbalances or their specific patterns secondly if we're again just focusing on oh they have shoulder pain let's look at the shoulder Let's look at the shoulder blade, even let's throw in the shoulder blade, right? Yeah. Those areas are so connected to how the back moves, how the neck might be positioned, what our rib cage is doing on top of our pelvis and how those are in relation to each other. And it's like, okay, we can do these in a controlled stationary environment, rotator cuff and scapular stabilization. But as soon as we stand up and try doing that scapular exercise, what's our rib cage and our pelvis doing? And how have we coordinated those to move better together? Exactly. Now I'm going to the store and I'm lifting things or I have my kid or I have my, you know, like how are these all relating to functional movement, which is what we're trying to get people back to anyways. And when we only focus on the shoulder blade, it's like the same thing of just focusing on the pain area, which is really hard for me because I don't like to say, oh, this is your pain. This is what to do for this area. And we've talked about the reason why before in other podcasts, but especially when it comes to the shoulder blade, like Dom said, the rib cage is a huge component. If your rib cage isn't even expanding, so moving movement into the rib cage based on your diaphragmatic breathing, your shoulder blades don't have a good place to glide over in the first place. So other muscles are going to have to work and compensate to help. So that's one right there. Yeah. How are we breathing? Shocker. We bring that up all the time. Mm -hmm. How is that upper back moving? And then like we do in the optimal body membership, when we, when we take these muscle activations, we're not just focusing on the shoulder blade, but we take it all the way down to what your feet doing. Mm-hmm. And we we say from your feet to your pelvis to your rib cage to your shoulder blade. Now we're going to have a better idea of how that's going to functionally go into standing, how it's functionally going to go into loading and into other yeah. movements, because that's really where it becomes beneficial. It's so funny because we talk about this all the time and then eventually somebody will be like going through the optimal body and they'll have that like aha moment where they say like i was more focused on doing like the hits and the mobility and stuff and then i was starting to have this little issue so i went back to doing the core you know core one two three four and man i noticed how just doing that breathing i got my back to feel different than it ever has before or whatever Mm -hmm. and they start to make those connections between doing the muscle activations in the core and they're like I noticed myself doing that when I was doing the hit or even when I was out singing. This person was like a part of a part of a uh, choir or something. And they're just like, I've sang my whole life and I've never felt myself, you know, control my breath and my voice support through my pelvic floor like I did after doing, you know, your breath work in the optimal body. And so people really start to realize that once they do it. But again, that's where we come back around to, can you breathe on your back? We do this really cool exercise. What was it? Episode 11. Episode 11. When we do breath where Jen wraps this band around my ribs. And can you tell them a little bit what the premise of 
wrapping like an exercise band around the ribs is yeah i mean it's really just feedback for the mind everything is like can't we get this mind body connection in terms of what is supposed to be moving as especially yeah. in this case breathing you talked we about want expanding that, through the ribs yeah we want that rib cage to expand so that the diaphragm has room to like actually lift and and contract the way that yeah. we breathe <laughs> and so when we're getting this feedback we're actually then if my rib cage is going to expand, I'm going to get different changes in my thoracic spine, which I just did this also in the almost 30 uh, virtual camp. I had 10 <laughs> minutes to try to get these people to feel something different because someone else's session ran over. And so I'm like, okay, here we go. And all I did was like, let's test our range of motion through the thoracic spine, just kind of sit and rotate. Now we're just going to breathe. Where are you breathing from? Getting this this rib cage to move. And then I had them retest. And the comments into that that <laughs> section were like, oh my gosh, my range of motion is so much better. And like yeah. all these crazy things. It was so much fun to watch. But that's why it's like yeah. we can get so much more movement change when we actually just start to come back to that foundational piece, which is what we do in the membership. And the thing that I love with the the band around the ribs is it's that feedback that isn't going to go away, right? So if we change positions and here's what I want you to do, if you can think of, oh, here's a shoulder stabilization exercise I do, whatever it is, if it's a little serratus press, even if you're lifting your, even if you're just lifting your arm over your head, whatever it is, tie that band around your ribs, take a few breaths just laying on your back and then try to do that shoulder stabilization exercise and see what the ribs do, see mm -hmm. what you notice your ribs or your pelvis doing in relation to each other then to really mess yourself up stand up <laughs> yeah. and try doing the same thing and you'll notice so quickly how you detach from what your core is doing based on what you're doing with your arms or your shoulders yeah and so getting yourself comfortable in uncomfortable positions or changing positions yeah. like it's something that we talk about a lot um, so now let's go through just the ranges of motion of what you should be able to own and have control of in your shoulder blade. Yeah, there's three primary planes of motion for the shoulder blade. Like I said, it's kind of just floating there on our rib cage. So the first one that I think everybody does a little too much of is shoulder shrugs or elevation where our shoulders are up near our ears and then shoulder depression where we kind of push them down towards our back pocket. Elevation and depression. Yeah. And then another one is protraction and retraction. A lot of people have heard of that. So that means protraction is when that shoulder, those shoulder blades are going to move away from the spine and they're going to go forward. And then retraction is bringing the shoulder blades back toward the spine. Now, the goal is to be able to do this without using your arms. The first thing I like to do is have people just have the arms out at the side and keep the elbows straight. And now can I move just from my shoulder blades forward and back and then can I do it with my arms out straight then can I do it with my arms straight overhead and what a lot of people want to do is row right I want to bend my elbows with yeah. the movement kind of thing or if, even if you're in like a plank position and people want to bend the elbows to kind of get that shoulder mm -hmm. blade don't feel bad if that happens like especially if you're new to this motion so common I got uh, almost every client that I've introduced this movement to that's the first thing that happens but really being able to control those ranges without the arms without lifting up or, or pulling down like just pure movement forward back up down if we can't isolate that protraction by itself that in itself is telling me that we have evidence that our motor patterning is a little bit muddy and that our brain isn't exactly understanding what we're telling us ourselves when we're saying, hey, 
just punch that little protraction forward. It's too connected into our elbow movement. It might be too connected into our thoracic spine movement. So again, just laying there and working on it with your arms, sitting there and working on it with your arms by your side can really help us start to type in that program to be like, oh, now we know how to isolate that movement on its own. Exactly. And then the third one is going to be upward rotation and downward rotation, which is a little bit more of like a composite movement which is in that scapular or that rib cage kind of plane where upward rotation is really helpful for getting our arm fully overhead um, into that full flexion where that shoulder blade and that lower kind of angle of that shoulder blade is going to roll out to the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then being able to control that down. And that's where a lot of people can find that scapular dyskinesia is when they lift the arm up. If you take a video and you try to slowly lower your arm down, you might see like some either all of a sudden the shoulder blade just comes crashing down or it's like boop, 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 boop. It's just like kind work. of like <laughs> bouncing yeah. back down because it's like, whoa, I don't know how to control this range. And it's almost kind of a cool thing. Like how cool to like see your, your movement. And so... I mean, this is why I love videotaping. Mm -hmm. And I remember even when I was teaching Pilates and one of the first things that I, I would just start posting videos like this on Instagram of me teaching Pilates on the reformer and stuff. And I remember one of the first times I was just doing like banded retraction and I was like super lean and ripped back then too. And I would see I, the first time I saw my shoulder blades from the back, I was like, whoa, that's what people are seeing. <laughs> like, It looked crazy. My muscles were popping. Things were happening. Yeah. One shoulder blade might have been doing something different. It was cool to see, though. I think it's so cool to just start to gain this awareness and not be afraid of movement. So just to kind of talk through a couple examples and decent ways, I think, to access some of these, especially the difficult ones. I want to talk about scapular depression. Mm. I think a lot of people struggle to find what true depression of our shoulder blades is. And one of my favorite ways to do this is like at your standard kitchen chair. If you're sitting at the kitchen chair, the nice thing is your pelvis is already kind of tucked. So we're kind of keeping our core in more of like this flexed position and not allowing our back to extend. And if you just put your hands on the edge of the chair and scoot your bum forward off the edge and then just kind of press your hands straight down into that chair like you're trying to push your shoulder blades down, um, again, that's going to help you get that scapular depression without being able to arch your back so much, which is what a lot of people do. Again, when we say shoulders down and back, a lot of people will arch through their back as well. Yeah, that is such an important cue because that is... I mean, I just can remember all the time of people doing that. And and that just goes into like, we don't have awareness, right? If my if my back has to arch and my rib cage flares in order to pull my shoulder blades back and down, oh, do I really have control of just what my shoulder blades are doing over yeah. the trunk? Which is, again, what we do in the membership all the time. And then after that, I'd have to say something that I struggle with the most is kind of what we were talking about with that that press motion, like mm-hmm. just that scapular press, which my favorite place to probably start this is either, like you said, sitting and just arms at the side going forward and back or just in like a quadruped or on mm-hmm. your hands and your knees, elbow straight and just exploring, okay, how much can I get those shoulder blades to come back and together and how much can I push those around the rib cage towards the ground and push through those hands And again, if it's something you haven't done, you might feel some pretty intense stretches when you get to the end ranges of those motions. Yeah. And sometimes people need, like I've had clients that need to start that, like elevating the hands onto a table. Or against a wall. Yeah. Or against a wall. And the moment you do that, because you really get to see, is my sternum kind of moving 
and mm-hmm. rounding as I'm pushing? Like, does my rib cage move or can I keep that stable? And again, only move from that pure shoulder blade movement. So it's just, it's fun to explore. And one of the stories and one of the things that always has kept with me since physical therapy school was we watched a, a video of a physician who is kind of giving a lecture. And so there was like a big group of people in front of him. And he had this kid up who had shoulder pain, but the physician didn't know which shoulder he had pain in. And the physician was just kind of going through like, oh, this is what I would look at and da, da, da. And he's like, oh, let's look at his shoulder range of motion. And the kid would lift his arms in different planes. And what the physician noticed was that there was one shoulder blade that was kind of a little funky, you know, like whether it didn't track very nicely or it kind of bounced and it did some weird stuff. And so he was like, well, because this shoulder blade doesn't move well like the other one, this is probably the shoulder that you have pain in, right? And the kid's like, oh, no, actually, it's the other one. And as embarrassing as that might be as you're giving a big lecture, it just goes to show we cannot determine that funky movement means pain or means injury, right? And all like the overall message is just continue to explore the body, continue to explore your awareness of what you have within your body so that you can gain control, you can gain strength and that you can gain better awareness of your body in general. Thank you again for joining us on yet another PT Pearl. We just appreciate you so much. And of course, if you need more visuals for each PT Pearl, they are over at Doc Gen Fit on YouTube. There is a whole section for the PT Pearls from the Optimal Body Podcast that you can use to really see what we're talking about. And don't forget, if you really like this, if you're learning from it, share it out, share it with your community, tell us what you're learning, rate and subscribe to the episode because there's going to be so many more goodies and PT Pearls along the way. And if you're ready to dive in even deeper, don't forget we have an Optimal Body membership with an incredible community of movers learning with us and moving in their body. Until next time, thank you again.